WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 79, all about Return of the King, theatrical edition, part one, being the 79th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I am joined by fellow creator on the WBNE network, as well as all around wonderful human being, Jordan Balky. Thank you for coming on, Jordan. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm excited to have you here. Listeners, if you don't know, Jordan is one of the other creators on the WBNE network. She is the DM for our Dungeons and Dragons podcast, Late to the Party. It's been like a long time coming for you to come on that's what I'm talking about because I, sure. I think I originally asked you if you wanted to come on for a chapter but you are such a dedicated fan that you're like I would want to read the whole series before I come on for that chapter and I was like okay no problem I'll get her on for a movie episode and then I kept pushing back our, our date for like when we needed to record because I kept doing more and more episodes on Two Towers. And then finally we're here. Listeners, Happy New Year. You are listening in the future that we are not in. How is 2021? I hope it's good. I hope it's better than 2020. I know. TBH, I've kind of already, I have I have no hope for 2021. I'm all about 2022. Anyway, Jordan. It's got to get better eventually. (laughs) Jordan, tell me a bit about how you got into Lord of the Rings. Did you um, find it as a child? Was it because of the movies? And then also specifically, do you have a memory associated with watching Return of the King for the first time? Yeah. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. So I first read the books when I was a kid. I remember getting them at a used bookstore in my hometown called the Old Book Barn. And it was one of those places that smells like old books. I was going to say, if it's called the Old Book Barn, that's oh, yeah. I, I want to live there. Mm-hmm. It was it was awesome. And so I got uh, the four book set in like paperback and it was all in a box. And I'm sure that I have that somewhere in like an attic or a basement back at home. Um, but that was my first exposure to Lord of the Rings. And I read The Hobbit first because that's uh the order that they were in in the box and then uh read the remaining three books and I really really loved it and it was when I was sort of in a really fantasy kick for books anyway and um then not long after that I watched the first movie and I didn't like it oh interesting realistically I think it's because childhood me had just pictured things differently I would say that the biggest difference was how I was picturing like the hobbits I was picturing them like genuinely covered in fur just a little bit not Mm -hmm. just on their feet like a mini like a mini Bigfoot yeah um and like I pictured Merry and Pippin to be much younger rather than in the movie how they look basically the same age as Frodo and Sam uh and you know now playing Dungeons and Dragons I'm like understanding more what a hobbit slash slash halfling is and I'm like oh okay I just was wrong as a child but so confession time even though I would consider myself to be a Lord of the Rings fan before this past weekend I had not seen past fellowship for the movies 
And so I know, I know just because like I had this, this emotional thing of like, I don't know if I can watch them because I feel like it will ruin the childhood, like how I read the books. I need to get this right. So the first time you watched Two Towers and Return of the King was this past weekend. Yes. (gasps) And, and it's something like my boyfriend is a huge Lord of the Rings fan. He loves the movies and like, he quotes it all the time and they're very memeable. And so like any, t- literally any time I mention potatoes, he, he does the potatoes mm-hmm. and, and goes on with Sam's line. And so we had been talking for a while about sitting down and just binge watching all three of them on a weekend. And this was the perfect excuse to do it. So we, Oh my uh, gosh, I feel honored. Oh, it was honestly, it was great. Um, and it's funny because I felt like I had been missing out a little bit on like the memes and stuff that you post on uh, your your Instagram page <laughs> of like, oh, uh, you know, Aragorn, Aragorn opening the doors oh my God, at Helm's you Deep. You hadn't seen the doors scene. <gasps> I hadn't seen the doors scene. You hadn't seen the helmet kick. Oh my god! I hadn't seen. I mean, I'd seen the helmet kick because it's been it's such memed a, to everyone, heck of like everyone knows. This it. is the scene where he I broke kn- his yeah, toe. I knew it before I even watched it. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, so I actually watched them. Uh, watched two and three for the very first time oh this gosh. past weekend, and the first movie for the second time this past weekend. Wow! This yeah. is oh my gosh! This is incredible. That's so amazing. So are your so what what are your general overarching thoughts now after all these years? I definitely feel like I need to go back and reread the books, but I'm now just afraid that like I'll only picture the actors and the scenes from the movies mm-hmm. and and I I would love to get that childlike wonder again. And it's just, it's hard to do that. Once movies have been made, it sort of ruins your visual idea of what the books look like. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally get but that. But yeah, I'm a fake fan, I know. No, 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 absolutely <laughs> not. I I got to, I had someone comment on one of my TikToks. Um, by the way, listeners, if you don't already, you should follow me on TikTok at MC WhatsApp. I have gained some I don't know, views and followers on this on the Tolkien talk side of TikTok. <laughs> and Mary Clay Watt is very funny everywhere on the internet and no. especially on TikTok. Please go follow her. <laughs> um and someone commented and was like, Oh, you should do a joke about like, are you even a Lord of the Rings fan if you don't know who Goldberry is? And I replied and I was like, I'm not gonna make that joke because any level of fandom is acceptable because I mean, I a year ago, not even six months ago, I didn't even know how it ended. And I was, you know, I'm in a weird position where like, I'm a voice in the Lord of the Rings fandom, but I don't even know how it ends. You know, all levels of fandom are welcome. Theatrical viewers, extended viewers, uh, book readers, non-book readers. We are all welcome here, except for people who say the Hobbit movies are good. <laughs> I also haven't seen those. Those are next up on my watch list. <laughs> I ha- yeah, I haven't. Se- yeah, obviously, since I haven't read the Hobbit yet, I haven't seen the movies yet, but I have just heard terrible things about them. So I'm going I'm going in for the Hobbit movies with low as possible expectations, which I think is going to work out in my favor because I think I'm going to find I have a pretty low, low tolerance for movies. Like one of my favorite movies is Clue um, with (gasps) Tim Curry. And it's not, you know, low budget, no, you know, uh, what special effects, not, you know, none of that. No smoke and mirrors. It's a great movie. 
So. I mean, but Tim Curry's great. He he just makes everything he's in. Oh, I so know. I know. Well, we are not here to talk about Clue, unfortunately. We are here to talk about Return of the King. This is it, guys. This is, I say, the beginning of the end. It's so funny because when I started the movies, I originally mapped out that I was going to have three episodes per movie and one episode for extended editions. Um, well, Yeah, how's that working out for you? <laughs> Uh, Two Towers turned into, I think I had six episodes for theatrical edition, and then the extended edition was two episodes. So I might be covering this movie until the end of 2021. We will, <laughs> we will see. But um, it is it is really like it's getting bittersweet for me now as I'm making my way through through all of these movies and the books. And it's going to get to a point where I'm not going to have anything else to cover. And then I'm going to have to sign off. So that's like sad and weird. But so I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying hard to like savor every moment while I can while I'm still covering it. And Return of the King is a good it's good moments to savor, I should say. In a really weird move that I'm still not sure about, Return of the King, the grand finale to this epic Lord of the Rings trilogy, opens with a backstory on Smeagol. We see how he killed his friend to take the ring and began his descent into corruption until he becomes the creature we recognize as Gollum. Frodo and Sam are experiencing daylight savings as they head closer to Mordor and the days grow darker. Sam, ever the optimist, tries to plan for a journey home, but Frodo's looking more and more like he's gonna die any day now as Sauron tightens his grasp on him through the ring. Aragorn, Gandalf, and company are welcomed to Isengard by Merry and Pippin, who are absolutely zooted out of their minds. Treebeard's not sure about what to do with Saruman, who's locked up in Orthanc. The Palantir sitting in the wreckage of Isengard captures Pippin's attention. Gandalf takes it from him and says that Saruman is no longer a threat, and we just have to take his word for it because we see nothing of what becomes of one of our main villains for two-thirds of this trilogy. They ride off to Edoras for some big celebration, and that's it. Bye, Saruman. Bye, Treebeard. I wish I could say it's been fun, but we barely knew ye. In Edoras, Theoden congratulates Eowyn on her new boyfriend, Aragorn. The only problem is apparently Aragorn is unaware that all of his flirtatious laughter and longing glances at Eowyn has caused her to fall in love with him. I mean, who amongst us wouldn't? She's only human. Aragorn begins testing his kingly leadership skills and reassures Gandalf that his gut instinct about Frodo and Sam being alive and doing well with the mission to destroy the ring is correct. Well, it's partially correct. Gollum and Smeagol once again loudly scheme about how they plan to lead Frodo and Sam to their deaths. As you start to wonder how it's possible that they're still asleep, Sam wakes up and reveals Gollum's deceit to Frodo, who's like, so what? You got any better ideas? It's been 20 whole minutes into this movie and we haven't gotten a single- oh wait, Nope, nope, there it is. Ominous Legolas makes an appearance, talking about the stars being veiled and a sleepless malice. Pippin is playing Indiana Jones and swaps out the Palantir, but is quickly tricked, possessed, electrocuted by Sauron. Pippin sees a threat on Minas Tirith in the Palantir, though he remains an honest fool and doesn't tell Sauron about Frodo or the ring. Despite what appeared to be some character development after getting his butt kicked at Helm's Deep, Theoden says Rohan will not help Gondor unless they ask for it because masculinity be fragile? I don't know. Gandalf gives Aragorn instructions for what to do next, but because he's still Gandalf, he speaks in riddles and we won't understand what his instructions mean for another hour. We've seen Nazgul and orcs in the Eye of Sauron, but nothing so evil as Pippin being separated from Arya as he rides off to Minas Tirith with Gandalf. Hey, remember Arwen, who we only saw in a few flashbacks and dream sequences in the last movie? Because I low-key forgot about her. She's still on her way to the Undying Lands, but a vision that inexplicably appears shows her future with Aragorn and her son if she stays with him. So she turns around, arrives in Rivendell, promptly starts dying, and it's really only then that Elrond decides to help out with this whole battle for humanity thing. So he forges together the shards of Narsil in a dramatic blacksmithing montage, as opposed to Tolkien mentioning it in a passing comment halfway through the first book that this mythical sword has been reforged. Shadowfax shows us the meaning of haste as he carries Gandalf and Pippin to see Lord Denethor, the steward of 
Gondor. Gandalf warns Pippin to shut up since Denethor probably won't be in a good mood. And he's right because Denethor is holding the broken horn of Gondor after just learning about the death of his only, I mean, favorite son, Boromir. Pippin ignores literally the one thing Gandalf told him to do and tells Denethor that Boromir died protecting him and pledges his service to Gondor. Because all of the male leaders, except for Aragorn apparently, are incapable of making good decisions, Denethor ignores Gandalf's warnings about preparing for battle and lighting the beacons to call for aid. Waiting in the deep breath before the plunge, Gandalf provides some super helpful exposition as he explains to Pippin that Osgiliath is the last defense in Gondor against Sauron's forces. I'm sure we'll have no trouble maintaining that. He also talks about Sauron's deadliest servant, the Witch King of Angmar, that no living man may kill. Too bad there aren't any loopholes to exploit there. But still, there remains hope, a fool's hope, that all of this will work out. Maybe. Today we are covering about, it's just short of the first 40 minutes. It's 10 seconds short. We are uh, covering obviously the start of the movie through 39 minutes and 50 seconds. So we start off, we open up with, um, we have a close up of someone holding a worm and it is Smeagol. So this is Gollum before he encountered the ring when he was still a hobbit and he and his friend Deagle, which I remember making fun of a lot in the book. Oh, yeah. That it's Smeagol and Deagle. And I think I remember, yeah, and Mike Schubert was, uh, when he was on, he was like, seriously, like, Eowyn, Eomer, can't they come up with more creative names? And I was like, I don't know how to tell you that that's literally all Tolkien did. He just rhymed everyone's names. Everyone had the (laughs) same names. And they are fishing on a boat. And this is the story of how they of how the ring came to be in Gollum's hands. And I'm not (laughs) sure how I feel about opening up the final like the grand finale of your trilogy with a Smeagol scene and showing him, you know, being tempted, you know, overcome by the ring and killing his friend and, you know, devolving into Gollum. I don't, I don't feel great about it. I thought that it was weird. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was one of those things where I think they did a really good job in the previous movies, sort of setting you up for the moment where he pulls it out of the water as like a misdirect where you assume that it's going to be Smeagol the whole time. And then right, it's yeah. not. So that was incredibly well done. Mm-hmm. And for this to be how it resolved at the beginning of the finale, it just, it. I agree, it felt weirdly anticlimactic to open on that. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting because I wrote down... I said, I think this would have been better in Two Towers or maybe even in Moria when Gandalf is, Gandalf and Frodo are having a conversation and Frodo is like, I think something's following us. And Gandalf was like, oh, yeah, that's Gollum. Um, (laughs) And I was like, I think this might have been better in another place rather than opening up on Smeagol's backstory. And then I was doing the trivia and I found out that's actually what they intended originally. This opening scene, it was directed by Fran Walsh. It was originally meant to be in two towers after Frodo and Gollum have this moment where Frodo's like, you were a hobbit once. Smeagol was your name. And as soon as I read this, I remembered that moment and it like zooms in on Gollum as he like realizes That would have been such a better, mm. well, some interesting direction choices were made. Yeah. So that being said, though, I don't know how else you would have opened this movie. So before uh, recording, I am very type A, Um, (laughs) but so I was reading the Wikipedia plot summary and I was like, I don't remember this scene happening at all. Not talking about uh, the Smeagol and Deagle scene, but something that happens later. And it was like, oh, actually, that's in the extended edition. And I'm like, oh, that's why that didn't happen. And realistically, 
when you go to discuss the extended editions, I feel like it'll just be a much more obvious of like, they could have started here mm-hmm. at what, what they had to cut out because it was already a three hour movie by just moving the Smeagol and Deagle to, 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 yeah. into the two towers mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see Return of the King for what specifically for one scene that we'll we'll get to in a bit after this one. But um, yeah, I'm excited to see what extended edition is like. Unpopular opinion about Smeagol. I think he looks more creepy as a hobbit than he does as oh yeah as his golem no, creature. It, it, he it looks creepy both ways. He looks very creepy it, okay. as Smeagol and Gollum. A hundred percent. Yeah, I I feel like as Gollum. They just did a really good job of like making him look ever so slightly otherworldly. And when you finally then see him as a hobbit, you're just like, what? I think it's because we we know like we know what the hobbits are supposed to be because we we see you see Merry and Pippin and you're like, there's no way that Smeagol is the same kind of person as Merry and Pippin. That just doesn't, you know, match up. And then also Andy Serkis is still doing that. It's not as Gollum-y, but the voice he's doing is still very, like, creepy. And so you're still associating it with Gollum. And yeah, it just, again, I just, I feel weird about starting out, like, I'm, it's un- it's a really unsettling sequence of events that they kick off this grand finale of a trilogy with. I don't know. I'll be interested. Listeners, I'll probably do some kind of a poll or something to see how you guys feel about this. So be on the lookout for social media. So to kind of summarize this first scene, uh, yeah, Deagle and Smeagol are fishing. Deagle pulls the ring out of the river and they fight over it and Smeagol kills his friend Deagle. We see him slowly morph into uh, into Gollum. We see him starting to like he's he's like eating raw fish, and we get some real fun close ups of his mouth and his his teeth like decaying, mm-hmm. and he's becoming more and more malnourished and and skeletal like, and and we see him go into the Gollum Gollum thing and. Mm-hmm. It's real nasty. It's a great scene. I think it's misplaced, but it's an excellent mm-hmm. scene to show that progression. Yes. Mm-hmm. It is cool to get to see to see how it happened because it, it does draw a nice parallel with what we open up to next, which is um, we have Frodo and Sam. Sam is sleeping. Frodo is awake. And we see Frodo, like his face is really gaunt almost. And he has like dark circles under his eyes. He's awake and he's like stroking the ring. And so you are seeing this parallel of we just showed how Smeagol became Gollum. And now we're having we're seeing the next ring bearer and what it's doing to him. Mm hmm. And he's a uh, he's not doing good. Frodo uh, Sam is like you haven't slept at all. That's not good. It's also daylight savings time in Middle Earth because Sam is like, oh, it must be nighttime, and Frodo's like, no, it's midday. Uh, the days are just getting darker sooner. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, yeah, same here. We're in Mordor. Oh my gosh, I like didn't even think about that comparing to now, but like literally, it is uh, right now just after six p.m. And it has been pitch black outside for at least an hour. A hundred percent. We are living in Mordor right now, everyone. Isn't that fun? 
<laughs> and uh, um, anyway, we have uh, Sam is trying to take care of Frodo and is telling him to eat some of the lame bus that he's rationing. And he is not eating anything because he wants Frodo to take what little they have left. And he says, like, oh, I think we'll have enough. And Frodo says, enough for what? And Sam says, the return trip. The journey uh. home. And it's so, it's just such a great encapsulation, is that a word, of Sam's character that, like, even in this, like, terrible situation that they're in, he is still hopeful enough to dream of a of a situation where they can, they're going home. They survive this and they return back home. Mm-hmm. I think that is exactly right just very much Sam's character and it's it's adorable and heartwarming because you as the the viewer are like oh that's that's unfounded optimism Mm -hmm. but it's also just so sweet and I feel like it probably gives a little nugget of hope to Frodo in that moment too I think also in that moment Frodo has this kind of not realization but he has a moment of being like oh my god Sam is so untouched by darkness and I am being touched by darkness right now. And so I think he is almost kind of like, oh, my God, he's so naive to <laughs> to think that we're because they all I mean, they very spoiler alert. They they just about don't make it home. You know, <laughs> if not for those yeah. eagles, they wouldn't have made it home. Oh, actually, I just realized, too, there's also a moment like this in Two Towers in the beginning of Extended Edition Two Towers where uh, Frodo finds this like jar of spices that Sam packed and he's like spices what and Sam's like I thought we might have a nice roast chicken one day I want us to like sure we might be going to Mordor but I at least want us to eat something good and Frodo's like Sam So he has this moment of like realizing how, I don't know, maybe how far apart they've drifted and he's not in that headspace at all. I also think that that's probably a a good uh, example of how the different hobbits who aren't Frodo are immature and or naive in different ways. Mm -hmm. Because you certainly wouldn't expect behavior like that from Merry or Pippin, but you still would expect immaturity and naivety and all of that because you know Pippin's messing stuff up in this oh uh, yeah series mm-hmm. upcoming mm-hmm. fool of a took mm-hmm. oh actually so this is like it's a very subtle moment um but the music the way it transitions from this scene into the next scene um it's like very subtle kind of like the music feels a little bit off. It's a little bit unsettling. And then all of a sudden it just seamlessly transitions into the fellowship theme. And it, as we, as we see all of them riding their horses through the, um, through the woods to go to Isengard and it's so smooth and beautiful. And I rewound it to watch it again. Um, because I've, I've like really started to appreciate and notice the music and the score a lot more, the more often that I've been watching the movies. You know, I definitely didn't notice that, but I feel like I'll have to go back and rewatch well, and after that's this. A, and that's something that, you know, the first time I watched the movies and when we were doing, when we were discussing them on Bacon and Eggs, Tyler and Ethan would say something about the music and I'd be like, oh, I didn't notice it because 
those first times, I was more paying attention to like, what are the characters doing? What are they saying? Like, oh, how are they going to do this scene from the book? So I wasn't really even paying attention to the music. It's been like a joy to have this slowly like creep up on me and be like, oh, this is amazing. The score is amazing and beautiful. We have everyone who is just at Helm's Deep. They are walking through the woods and then we zoom up on the title, The Return of the King. We pan over to Isengard and I think this legitimately, this might be my favorite scene of the whole series. (laughs) So Merry and Pippin are sitting there smoking. They have collected a bunch of food and ale and they found pipeweed in two towers extended there's a scene after they destroy isengard where they find um saruman's storeroom and they find two full barrels yeah i think that yeah longleaf pipeweed and they're like one barrel for me one for you and it's like (laughs) filled with food and they just are laughing and it's just so wholesome and so here they are they are as the kids on tiktok say zooted out of their minds (laughs) (laughs) yes they are highest and they're eating and they're joking and pippin's like oh i feel like i'm back at the green dragon mary's like oh you don't know a hard day of of work pip you've never done a hard day of work and they're just laughing and jovial and then <laughs> and then uh Gandalf and Theoden and er- they all come up and Gimli's like, "Are you kidding me? We thought last time we saw you you were being carried off by orcs. We chased you for like a whole week. I am not a runner and I ran after you guys and we thought you might be dead this whole time and you're just sitting here eating and drinking." <laughs> and Aragorn's laughing. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's such a such a good moment because you really see all of the different personalities sort of yeah, shine through. Great, yeah, exactly. Oh my god. In particular, I like the way yeah, Mary's like, is it Pippin who says it? One of them says, Well er- earned comforts, but the way they say well earned in a I guess it must have, it must have been Pippin because it was very Irish or something. Enjoying a few well earned comforts. It felt very irreverent in like the best possible way. They're just enjoying themselves. They say the salted pork is particularly good. And Gimli is like, there's pork. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the immediate shift in Gimli's attitude of like, I'm frustrated and I'm going like, I'm taking it out. Ooh, pork. Yeah, I'll have some. Thank you. Mm. Uh, and Gandalf goes, Ugh, hobbits. <laughs> and in the background, actually, you can see Legolas laughs a little bit. So, yeah, we're seeing like all of their different reactions. And it's also funny because Gandalf the Grey 100% would have been like, oh, you got some weed? Pass it over. But Gandalf mm-hmm. the White, no, no, no more. Yeah. So they welcome everyone to Isengard. They say Treebeard has taken over management. And mm-hmm. Treebeard, it's just so funny. He says young master Gandalf. Which is just so funny because Gandalf is, is ancient to everyone else. Yeah, we don't know how old he is. Mm-hmm. And Treebeard explains that like, oh, yeah, we destroyed Isengard. And he says there is a wizard to manage. Saruman's up in his tower. He's locked himself up there and he's really dangerous. And Gandalf is insistent that he is he's lost all of his power and that he isn't dangerous anymore. And I guess that's all we'll ever know of that because we cut away or actually not yet. There's something else that happens more. But but essentially we leave the scene and we go to Edoras and there is a huge chunk from the book on Saruman that is cut from here. And 
I was I was like really shocked. And I thought when I was watching it the first time, I thought that something I thought we had like accidentally skipped a scene. It Mm -hmm. seemed really I mean, obviously, because I'd read the book, it seemed really obvious that we were missing this confrontation between everyone and Saruman and seeing Saruman have some kind of consequences for what happened because he was one of the main villains of the last two movies. And then it just kind of feels like he's just getting away with it or like like it, it almost feels a little hand wavy. And this was the the scene when I was like reading the recap of the first few scenes that I was like, wait, I don't remember seeing this in the movie because there is in the extended edition this thing that you're remembering. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I hope that you didn't want to no, avoid no, no. spoilers for that. <laughs> no, I know. So I know it's an extended edition because so Sir Christopher Lee, who plays Saruman, was, quote, not amused that Saruman was cut from the theatrical edition. He reportedly had many arguments with the filmmakers about what they were explaining to him, why it was necessary to cut it for like pacing or whatever. And he he was just adamant that none of the reasons they gave him were good enough or justified it. And this led to a falling out between him and Peter Jackson until eventually, I guess they made up somehow and he came back for The Hobbit and at the premiere of that of that movie, he asked Peter Jackson if any of his scenes had been cut. Ooh, sass. Yeah. Way to go. And I, I agree. You really, I, just, I mean, like, I'll be interested to see, maybe it'll be another poll. I don't know that I'll do. But like, is it just because I read the book and I know that there's, it's like one or two chapters at least, I think. It's been a long time since I've read the books. So even coming in, not really remembering all of the finer details of it, I also felt cheated. I felt shorted. Mm-hmm. Like Saruman was the villain. Like we we knew that Sauron also super confusing when yep. I read the books mm-hmm. the first mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, what did I say about Deagle and Smeagol? Yep. Uh, but so we obviously knew that Sauron was the big bad, but I, I, we could also tell that he was working through Saruman. Even in this movie, the epic comeuppance and, and, motivating all of the Ents and drowning everybody and just eliminating his army in an instant was super cool, but it never felt like Saruman got his mm, comeuppance. Yeah. Like it it just felt like if I, as a dungeon master, had a big bad like that, and that's how I ended that character's story arc, my party would riot. Mm-hmm. My party would riot. <laughs> and and so much of Lord of the Rings just feels like Dungeons and Dragons because realistically half of Dungeons and Dragons is just sourced from Lord of the Rings anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I, I agree with Sir Christopher Lee because uh, Jordan, he was a like diehard Lord of the Rings, not necessarily scholar, but like he read Lord of the Rings religiously and he knew so much about the books and the world. And he had actually met Tolkien. That's incredible. Yeah, so he so this the books were like very important to him and he kind of, you know, knew what he was talking about. So I do agree that it there should have been something kept in the theatrical edition. It's very random. Yeah, it, it just doesn't feel like a victory or that there's sufficient closure it just feels like a loose thread there's no closure to it yeah as they're talking to Treebeard about what's happened with Saruman Pippin notices something in the wreckage and he goes over and picks up this black glass orb we learn later this is the palantir and this is what uh Saruman has been or I guess I should say we've known all along what this is because you see it in other scenes 
in the movie, mm-hmm. in the book, when this is introduced, you have no idea what this is. You haven't had the perspective of showing what Saruman's been up to because you're just following the fellowship's perspective. Right. Whereas we have seen it previously in the movies and you're like, oh, that's bad news. Don't that's evil. Do that. that looks evil. Yeah. And especially because Gandalf had previously covered it when he saw it in Fellowship right. with Sauron. Oh, good detail remembering. <laughs> I mean, when you watch all three of them in three days. I was going to say, yeah, because you yeah, you just watched Fellowship. I haven't seen Fellowship in three months. Have I? I don't know. How long have I been doing this podcast? Time is a construct. <laughs> it literally is. Treebeard says, bless my bark, which I just love that quote. I just wanted to say that. I was like, if I could, if I could, I asked this in the Tolkien about Facebook group, if you could get a Lord of the Rings tattoo with no consequences, like if all of a sudden five years down the road, you're like, I don't want it anymore. It just disappeared or whatever. What would you get? I think I might get bless my bark (gasps) tattooed on my body. Amazing. Um, Gandalf tells Pippin, he's like, up oh, that, that, nope, nope, don't look at yep. that. Give it to me. He looks away when Gandalf takes it from him. But when Gandalf looks away, Pippin looks back up at it. And you can tell he's like, I'm curious about that thing. More to come on that. This is one of those moments where I feel like having Merry and Pippin at least appear the same age as Frodo and Sam did them a disservice because they look like they're old enough to know better. Mm -hmm. And and Pippin doing stupid Shire is a recurring (laughs) theme, as we know. Yes. And so having him look and or feel like just as much of an adult as Frodo and Sam are, it just felt a little bit off because like when you're watching it in the movie, when Pippin does the dumb things, you're like, dude, come on. You should have learned this lesson by now. Yeah. Also on this note, I was two day years old when I learned Elijah Wood was 20 years old when they filmed these movies. Oh my gosh. Speaking of Elijah Wood and these movies, I swear to God, did they size up his eyes for this? It's especially (laughs) apparent in Fellowship, but I swear his eyeballs look gigantic on his face. Like he looks like a chibi. I I literally had to pause Fellowship in one of the early scenes with Frodo. I mean, maybe they did. Like the very first scene with Frodo and Gandalf. Because when you look, and I know that they're trying to accentuate the size difference as much as they can with all the camera work and stuff. But like looking at Elijah Wood's face and looking at, I am blanking on Gandalf's actor's name. Um, Ian McKellen. Yes, thank you. Sir Ian McKellen? Uh, He might be, yes. Also, Ian McKellen has received his COVID vaccine. We yes. can all we can all breathe a sigh of relief. <sighs> okay. Good. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things where like I just saw Frodo's face and I'm like, his eyeballs look computer enlarged. Like it just looks so unbelievable. <laughs> maybe fake. the color, maybe the color was enhanced a bit. I don't know, but he d- his eyes are a very striking part of his of his face 100 percent. yes all right before we jump to the next scene i wanted to share another trivia fact about when mary and pippin are drinking and, and eating and smoking uh dominic monahan had to drink a glass of milk before filming that scene to keep himself from throwing up while smoking the pipe so i guess he had like a very big aversion to to smoke and it was like making him gag on a similar note that i just found out he was apparently allergic to the material of the elven capes that they get. And this is not the first 
thing that I've read about the actors having like an allergic reaction to something that they used, whether it was like makeup or a costume. I'm like, just use something else. Just don't just give them a different cloak, you know? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that wouldn't be that. You know, I, I am not in the props department. So maybe there are specific reasons they use specific things. I mean, but I, also, I don't know. I just think like if you're filming this for three years, which is what they were doing, like, can you not give them different material or or something like that? It's just like another story of like the intensity of the movies and like the cast giving their best attention and efforts to this to these roles. Mm. Yeah. So we leave, we leave Isengard and this is the last we see of Treebeard. Bye, Treebeard. I love you. I'll miss you. I was so convinced reading the book, and I still think I'm right, that the Ents were going to show up at the Black Gates, but um, alas, they do not. Alas. And now it's time to party at Edoras. Uh, they have like a moment to remember all of the lives that they lost at Helm's Deep, and then they just have a big celebration because they won. Yay! We have a classic moment of sexual tension between Eowyn and Aragorn. Eowyn comes over and offers a cup to him. She says something in Elvish. She learned Elvish for him because uh-huh. she knew, learned in the pre- she learns in the previous, in Two Towers, she's like, oh, this dude speaks Elvish? That's cool. I'm going to learn something in Elvish so that I can impress him. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong. Aragorn, actor who plays him, v- Viggo Mortensen, yeah. Mm-hmm incredibly attractive do not get me wrong but why why are all of the named women in this movie series in this book series so hot and heavy for Aragorn see here's the thing is I I just can't argue because I a hundred thousand percent would also have been into if I if I was Eowyn I can't blame her one bit because okay the the problem the problem here so yeah so she offers him to take a sip from this cup like she's giving him communion at a Catholic mass I don't uh-huh. know. Uh, they make so much eye contact with each other and it's their movements are like very slow and deliberate and I'm like why are you setting up so much of this tension between like does Aragorn like Eowyn obviously Eowyn likes Aragorn does he like how does he feel about like why would you go they go to such lengths to set up this possible love you know interest this possible romantic relationship only for it to go nowhere you know Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. don't have to you can they they didn't have to go that hard but they did and and here's the thing she like he could have shot her down sooner and maybe she could have found interest in someone else here's the thing it also brings into question the whole like well she's not really going to get a throne of her own and he's the rightful king of Gondor and you know is this actually a a romance so much as like oh this would be a smart political move but in this scene that you're talking about it feels very real very palpable Mm -hmm. tension there Mm -hmm. and in a lot of ways this particular scene reminded me of uh have you seen the tv show firefly i have not okay spoiler for a particular episode the captain of the ship and and he and his crew are all partying in like this small planet town and there's a, a moment where like an attractive young woman comes up to the captain and like plies him with drinks and like put something on his head and all of these things and then you find out later in that episode that that was actually a marriage ceremony and she stowed away on the ship um and it it had similar vibes to me where i was just like ayo does he know what he's signing she up just, for is he about to sign up to have and to hold 
Yeah, like essentially tricked him Marian into doing them. a marriage ceremony, but it, it very much funny. had those same feelings and vibes. My thing is just like, when you look at how Aragorn interacts with her, you would 100% believe that like, oh, this relationship has a chance based mm-hmm. on the way that he interacts with her. I, I think it's just because he's too nice to be like, hey, I still love my elf girlfriend or maybe just Vigo Mortensen doesn't know how to not have chemistry with someone that's true yeah uh yeah I, I don't if know he wants to throw some of that chemistry my way I know right you I know. won't be opposed Just say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's also to that this is also to the extent that Theoden walks up Aragorn like goes off or whatever and Theoden comes over and is basically like oh my god congratulations I love your new husband I'm so happy for you and is essentially confirming that oh they're in a relationship of some kind Mm -hmm. um just no one's told aragorn i guess (laughs) and uh theoden's like yeah he's great eowyn says something about like you're also an honorable man and he's like yeah but it wasn't me who led everyone to victory at helm's deep and there's this pause like he's waiting for eowyn to be like no no you definitely (laughs) did stuff you definitely helped out at helm's deep but she doesn't say that she's like "Mm mm-hmm yeah, it was him who led everyone to victory. You did nothing. We almost died because of you. Mm-hmm. At least she tells it like it is or or doesn't, doesn't tell lie. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We have Barry and Pippin are doing a Hobbit bar song. Excellent. I love that they are the entertainment for everyone, but they're not like actually entertaining. They're just being themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. It's sort of the the other version of the youthful naivety with with Sam, you know, Sam has that like optimistic naivety, whereas this is just we're just goofballs. Mm-hmm. We're drinking, we're having a good time. Everyone's amused by us because we're hobbits, and nobody ever sees hobbits really that much. So they're just you know fascinated by us anyway, and we're gonna show off because we're Merry and Pippin, and we're this like they are in their element, mm-hmm. drinking and having everyone like cheering them on and dancing on top of a table. Gandalf is watching on and. Aragorn, like, they start having a conversation wondering about Frodo. Gandalf is like, well, we don't know where we don't we have zero idea what's going on with with him. I just don't. I just hope he hasn't died. And Aragorn's like, what does your heart tell you? Ian McKellen is his facial expressions in particular. There are so many moments throughout the movies where I'm like, you just nailed this moment with like a couple movements of like your eyes and your mouth. And it just works so perfectly. And you see him smile and look and he said he's like, my gut tells me that they are still alive and that we still have hope. Mm-hmm. It's it's an excellent moment. And it, it I think with Aragorn, it also shows a little bit of character development mm-hmm. in that moment because he was so like defeatist up until this point. Oh, like, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he was one of the first people being like, this is this is a suicide mission and we all know it. To me, I've read it as um, you're seeing him. There are all these moments throughout the movie where you see him evolve into the kind of person who eventually becomes the king of Gondor. Exactly. This is this is a great moment for him showing that leadership, but also giving one of your subjects a little bit of hope, just being a good king. And it's so I haven't I don't think I've I don't think I've really even talked about it much on the podcast yet because it's been more of like an overarching character thing for him rather than like a specific scene. In the books, Aragorn has none of this like I don't want to be king commitment issues as I've been calling them for the movies <laughs> where he's like he's like no, I don't 
want that. Aragorn's like, I don't know what my path is. And Arwen's like, it's laid at your feet. Your fate is bec- is to become the king of Gondor. And he's mm-hmm. like, I don't want to. I want to be a ranger. <laughs> because he's, he's very humble and is very much like, I don't want to accept power. I don't want to be king. And in the in the book, he's... Right, he's like rightfully the king from the get go, and he knows he's going to be king. And there's none of that. Like, I don't really, mi- I don't mind that they change that for the movies because it's really nice to watch him to see this humbleness in him that mm-hmm. he's not power hungry. Right. Well, and it also for him is very much trying to set himself apart or different from his ancestors who he sort of blames. Blames might be the right term. I think, yeah. For I think them so. being in the situation that they're in as a world. I think, yeah, I think so too. That He looks at his lineage and his past and sees like the mistakes of man. Because, I mean, how could you not? When you look at Isildur, who should have thrown the ring into the fires and destroyed it and didn't. And it's like the down, it is the downfall of man. And this war is a result of what Isildur could not do. And so I think Aragorn looks on that and his lineage as like shame and baggage of like, I could make the same mistakes they did as a leader. So I don't want to be a leader. I don't want the the consequences would be so much greater if I make a mistake and I'm king. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of that. He's great. I love him. Also, actually, you know what? We'll take this moment to go into this week's segment of is Vigo Mortensen actually a ranger? The <sighs> props department allowed Vigo Mortensen to do some mending of his costume from time to time as Strider himself would have done as a ranger. And Vigo Mortensen also would offer up some suggestions and feedback regarding air. Aragorn's weapons. For example, he told them that Aragorn should have a small hunting bow because when he's Strider and he's a ranger, he would need to hunt in order to survive. So Aragorn should have a hunting bow. And that was something that they hadn't even considered or thought of. That concludes this week's segment of Is Viggo Mortensen Actually a Ranger? I did not realize this man could get more attractive to me. Oh, oh, Jordan. Oh, Jordan. Maybe I'll just rewatch him opening the doors at Helm's Deep again. Um, so our next scene is Gollum. This is another scene of showing the duality between Smeagol and Gollum as same and for they're lying there sleeping again. I don't understand. I mean, it does eventually happen, but like they sleep through the moat through most of this scene. If Gollum was standing there yelling next to me, I would wake up immediately. Yeah, I, I almost feel like it has to be just happening in his head and like we're just seeing it out of his head maybe i don't yeah i don't know i like how they did this scene because they're constantly coming up with new ways that they're showing this smeagol Gollum duality like the way that they physically show it here he's looking in the reflection of a pond or something and Gollum is i think it's Gollum is the one in the reflection and then smeagol is looking down at him um so i appreciate that like they're getting they're like very creative with showing how this duality is yeah i think the one of them by the tree i think in the two towers is probably one of the best executed scenes Mm -hmm. in the entire movie because it is such a strange and complicated setup you're you're literally like showing a split personality having a conversation with itself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and yeah i could see how it would be incredibly challenging to set it up especially because realistically this entire scene is cgi yep Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was incredible, but I, I very much agree with your, if he was having that conversation with himself in front of everyone, they would wake up. They would wake up. Yeah. So this is just more of Gollum is, is scheming and is thinking of, and is telling Smeagol to lead Frodo and Sam to her. And we're like, who is she? We have only met two women. So three women so far, you're going to uh-huh. give us a fourth one. What? <laughs> So we're like, ooh, who is she? So there's a little bit of that mystery. He's talking about the path that he's leading them, which is up, 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 up the stairs. And I only say that because when I was watching this, my friend quoted that part. So I'm assuming this is a part that a lot of people quote <laughs> from the movie. Uh-huh. Up, 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 up the stairs we go. We're setting up that he is leading them into a trap and he's leading them to a monster of some kind. Of course, when you're reading the book, you don't know that at all because you're just from Sam and Frodo's perspective. Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know, it's just, I, I kind of liked it better in the book how you don't expect it. It's it's a surprise when they're in a cave and then all of a sudden giant spider she's gonna kill you. Yep. But it's also I also liked the suspense and not knowing what Gollum was doing because you knew he was doing something. You knew he was up to no good and you didn't trust him. You just didn't exactly know why. So I did like that kind of suspenseful element reading the book. I remember when reading the books, I didn't like that Gollum ended up being bad. Like I, I understand thematically why it needed to happen, but I saw Frodo basically giving him the opportunity to, to be good again, to be redeemed. Mm -hmm. And I remember being really upset by that when I read it the first time, just like this, this sucks. Like he had the opportunity to be redeemed and he didn't. Whereas in the movie, you feel maybe less that way because you have this, this foreshadowing and it feels maybe less out of left field. Yeah. Um, So probably that change for the movies makes it feel a little bit better. Yeah. And I also, I also like, I get why they show what Gollum's up to so that you can also so that the audience is fit you're still feeling suspense and there is still that mystery of like who is she where is he leading them like this is no good so sam remember how it was like how are they not waking up sam wakes up Mm -hmm. (laughs) finally hears like finally hears them and is ready to kill Gollum. And this is where we begin more of a something that is way more of a plot line than ever really exists in the book, which is this wedge that is being driven between Frodo and Sam. And it makes a lot of it makes a lot of sense. And it's very natural that they would add this in here. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're showing Frodo increasingly defending Smeagol and not listening to Sam, even though, and and because, you know, Sam is kind of the surrogate audience in this moment, right. being like, Frodo, oh my God, listen to us. Listen to, listen to reason. He said he's going to kill us. I mean, he's right though. Frodo's like, he's our guide. We have no way to get into Mordor without him. So we just have to be careful and watch our backs. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other things that putting that wedge there really enables is helping the audience see and understand Frodo's basically descent into madness, descent into being like Gollum. Since we don't get to like hear what's going on in Frodo's head Mm. ever. And really the only other time we're seeing Frodo sort of be off is when he's like stroking the ring or sort of mindlessly touching it, which might just be a little too subtle for some viewers to really have pieced together like 
that this is the exact same thing that happened to Gollum. And so here he is with this wedge between him and his best friend. And that wedge is the ring. It's, yeah. Like, it's not actually Gollum. It's Gollum. But it's it's, sh- it's the ring. Yeah, it's showing the effects that the ring is having on Frodo. Mm-hmm. So the the thing the thing about this though, and this stems back to my I have very big issues with the way that they structured two towers, because Helm's Deep is not the climax of Two Towers book. Techn- actually, I should add technically where we are in the in the movie, we are still in Two Towers book land. All of this happens in Two Towers' book. And so my issue, again, with the structure comes into play because at the end of Two Towers' movie, we have this whole moment of Sam and Frodo making up and they're friends again. And Frodo is like, Frodo wouldn't have gotten very far without his Sam. And then now here we are back again where we started off, you know, where we were in Two Towers, where they're fighting again. And Mm -hmm. It's very much like emotional whiplash of like, we just had some kind of closure to this and we just resolved this it, this conflict of you guys turning on each other and we just showed that our support for each other is extremely important for us. And then it's like we forgot all about it now that we're in Return of the King. Mm-hmm. So that just frustrates me a lot. <laughs> There's... That's all I got to that's all I have to say about that. And that's all I have to say about that. So our next scene is everyone's having we're back in Edoras, everyone's having a little sleepover in in the same room. Actually, uh and Legolas is of course, he's standing by himself outside being an ominous elf as usual. He's like, the stars are veiled. Something evil is coming. <laughs> and Aragorn's like, okay, bud. Pippin, he's been awake the whole time and you can tell he's just been waiting for the moment to act. And Mary's like, where are you going? And Pippin goes over. Pippin goes to f- Shire. Up. Yeah, exactly. To get the Palantir. So this is a detail that they gave to Gandalf, which I don't understand why. Gandalf is sleeping with his eyes open. In the books, the elves sleep with their eyes open. And I just think it's weird that they gave this detail to Gandalf for like 0.1 seconds of like comedic relief or something. A joke of he goes over and sees Gandalf's eyes are open and is like, oh, he's awake, but then he snores and you're like, oh, he's just sleeping with his eyes open. So I just I just found that weird. And I'm like, I wish you would have given that detail to the elves somehow because it's one of my favorite things about them. Yeah, I, I had forgotten about that difference. But but yeah, the, I it, it was a weird moment for I sure. I know it's such a minor thing, but... Pippin grabs the Palantir and looks into it and we cut to Legolas going like doing another poltergeist moment. Frodo had his in two towers where he goes, they're here. And Legolas (laughs) is like, they're here, which I don't understand how Legolas knows that because he hasn't had any interaction with Sauron or the ring or anything. He shouldn't know that, but he is an elf. So we're just going to give it to him again. a, A terrible you may feel differently, but I hated all of the choices they made with this moment of Pippin kind of being taken over through the Palantir. I agree. It was strange. He's like seizing on the floor to the point where it's almost comedic. Like I was kind of laughing. And then we also do like slow motion, low frame rate shots it's not a good situation. How would you have done it differently? Because I don't disagree, but I don't know what I'd have done differently. I think they over. I think they overdid it. I think if they had made it, I think if they had just 
just not made it more subtle, but I think you can have some of the like shaking and and seizing and stuff. I I think they just overdid it to be like, see, this is really dangerous to the point where I almost didn't believe it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, Aragorn comes in and everyone's woken up. He takes the Palantir and he also has a, the the way that Aragorn reacts to the Palantir is maybe how I would have preferred it because he's not as shaky and jerky I don't know. Well, and isn't the point of hobbits supposed to be that, like, they can handle burdens like that better than men? Yeah, I would believe that. Mm -hmm. So it just, it felt a little weird. It's just a weird moment. I don't like it. It was overacted. (laughs) Overacted. Probably because of poor direction. Yeah, it's not, it's not good. It's not good. Yeah, so we see Aragorn touch the Palantir and kind of be affected, uh, which... Things happen in the book because of this moment of him having the Palantir that don't happen in the movie, which I'll get into when we get to the Paths of the Dead and the Army of the Dead section of the movie. Gandalf, again, yells, fool of a took. Also, he runs over and he Mary's like trying to wake up Pippin. He just like throws Mary across the room, basically. <laughs> um, and then brings Pippin back to life. And mm-hmm. is like, what did you tell him? What did you tell Sauron? And he he's like, he asked who I was. I saw Minas Tirith. Or he doesn't know that it's Minas Tirith. But he saw some city with a white tree burning and all this other stuff. And Gandalf says, what did you tell him about Frodo? We cut away in a moment of like, oh, what did he tell him about Frodo? But it's actually a very sweet scene because Gandalf says Pippin wasn't lying when he said he didn't tell him anything. He's a fool, but an honest fool he remains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone is is concerned now because Sauron is going to be coming to Minas Tirith. They're assuming from the Palantir that this is some kind of a vision or showing the future of what will happen. Aragorn's like, well, obviously, let's go help them. And Theoden decides to not... For, he just decides to be petty. Still. Still. Did we learn nothing from Helm's Deep? Because he was like, who's going to help us? No one's going to help us. No one ever helps us in any situation. And then the elves show up and they help them. And it's like, okay, but wouldn't you have appreciated it if Gondor... Had cho- like, you have an opportunity to help your fellow man and you're not going to do it because of... Why? Because stupid? Yeah. It feels like all of the character growth just... Yes, exactly. Yeah. Kind of very similar to what I was saying about Frodo and Sam of like they had this great closure and resolution to their conflict in Two Towers. And especially with the moment when he was uh, with with Eowyn where he was like, he's a good man. Like, And now he's not listening to him. If you think that, Mm -hmm. then why are you being a prick? I have have lots of issues. I, I need to reread a couple chapters because I swear I don't like I swear I remember liking Theoden in the book I'm like did he actually make these bad decisions I don't know because I can't fully remember because all of this stuff that's happening right now where like they went back to Edoras and they had a little celebration and all the none of that happens in the book and from Isengard they kind of split off on their own paths and Aragorn and his crew go to the paths of the dead and 
Theoden takes his army and I think they just start making their way towards Gondor mm-hmm. and Minas Tirith anyway. So none of this is supposed to be happening anyway. And Gandalf tells Aragorn, he's like, I will go to Minas Tirith. And then he kind of, as an aside, he said, which I, I noticed this for the very first time when I was watching it last night. He says, you must come to Minas Tirith by another road. Follow the river. Look to the black ships. This is Gandalf telling Aragorn to... uh Go, that you will raise the army of the dead, essentially. However, he's still in classic Gandalf, speaking in riddles. Yep. <laughs> it it would be so nice to just be like, this is what you need to do. <laughs> Step one, go down this really creepy path, path. in a, in a yep. chasm in caves. Step two, awaken an army of the dead. Oh, yeah, you're going to need your sword for that. So so go get that. And then, mm-hmm. <laughs> but no. Nope. Step three, Go go attack the boats. Yeah, <laughs> get the boats, mm-hmm. and then and then go to Minas Tirith. That's step four. Very important. Yeah. So Gandalf says, "I will go to I will go to Minas Tirith, though I won't go alone." He says, "Of all the inquisitive hobbits, Peregrine Took, you are the worst." <laughs> and like I know it's a get, it's supposed to be you know like him insulting him, but it's still it's kind of like Gandalf's love language for Pippin. <laughs> yeah, it definitely feels like it was said with love. This part just it hits it just punches me in the gut because Pippin is like is like oh who's going who's going to Minas Tirith oh I'm going Mary isn't that exciting we're both going to Minas Tirith Mary's like don't you understand what you've done like Pippin's just not he's not understanding he's like I'm sorry okay I didn't mean to and Mary's like I know you're sorry you didn't mean to but like you really f- shire up this time and this has uh insert audio of that I think it's a vine going like what will you And I think Mary in this moment too obviously realizes the gravity of the situation mm-hmm. and like probably processes in that moment like I might not ever see Pippin again. Oh, it's so and, sad. And it's it's sad and heartbreaking because you never saw them apart yeah. in this entire mm-hmm. movie and Pippin not getting it until he was until they are like actually leaving. Mm-hmm. It feels like a child being ripped away from their mother. Yes. <laughs> you know? And again, a, a, a scene that would have benefited from having Mary and Pippin actually look younger. This moment is also, it's also like consistent with what happened in Two Towers because it was again a moment with the Ents where Pippin was like, oh, we're going to go back to the Shire, Mary. It's going to be okay. And Mary's like, don't you get it? The Shire will be destroyed if we don't do anything. Like none of this will matter if the war doesn't stop. You start learning more and more that Mary has has a much better grasp of of reality and sees what's going on and Pippin is just a lot more innocent than Mary is. Mm-hmm. Mary gives him the last of the pipe weed. <laughs> he's uh, he's like I know you I know you smoked all of yours. So two barrels. <laughs> so two barrels. They went through it fast. Uh so here's the last of the pipe weed. Gandalf says shadow facts show us the meaning of haste <laughs> and they they run off and Pippin is like Mary no and Mary runs to like a watch tower or whatever to go watch them and Aragorn runs after him to be like Mary it'll be okay it was it was sad sad and emotional and beautiful it's sad yeah and it is no I'm just gonna have to wait until until they're reunited to to say that then we have a scene with the elves which I legitimately forgot that the elves exist (laughs) (laughs) because it's been particularly Arwen because the way that I'm covering this and watching this it's been weeks since I've seen Arwen (laughs) quite literally yeah 
Yeah. She and the elves are on their way to the Undying Land still when all of a sudden... I, I forgot how much I hate the nonsense of the elves in this movie and how none of what they do makes sense. A vision somehow appears. I don't I don't understand it. Anyway, so a child comes running up. A child. We see Aragorn the Grey, the silver yeah, fox. A- old Aragorn. Is. Oh yes. <laughs> yes, silver fox. Swoop in and like plays with the child, and Arwen has this realization that, like, oh, this could be my future. Like, that's supposed to be my husband, and that's supposed to be my child. And so she turns around to leave and goes back to Rivendell, where Elrond is, and it's like, you have the gift of foresight. You saw that you saw what would happen if I stayed. Why didn't you tell me? And he's like, well, I also saw what happens, which is that you die and he dies. And I don't want you to go through that. I would rather keep you alive for myself than have you be happy with your man and your child and your family. Mm-hmm. It's also just so poorly explained why she suddenly has this foresight. Again, that's that's what I mean is I don't understand because Elrond... So it's Elrond who has this. So I don't understand how all of a sudden she has this vision too. Like, did she? It, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, and like, like, are we supposed to believe that she's seeing reality and not just like imagining what her life would be like? Exactly. Yeah. Like in that moment, you have no idea that she's seeing an actual future and not just daydreaming i don't get it i don't get it i don't get it in a three-hour movie they couldn't explain it then she immediately starts dying <laughs> literally instantaneously <laughs> she like there's this, it's a big dramatic moment of her like turning around and leaving the elves and deciding to go back and stay in this land and she's like i'm good you kind of get this sense of like oh she's gonna go help and she's gonna ride into action and she's gonna take charge of her own life nope she starts dying which means like if if we're to believe that she's dying that quickly, then it means that she's going to be dead by the time that that child is that age. I don't... I don't understand. Don't understand it. She says that you can help us. We can help them win by forging the sword. This is why I'm 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 hoping that this is an extended scene because it there it feels very jump because she's talking to Elrond and then all of a sudden we have a cut to a scene of her she is reciting the poem that Aragorn says when he first introduces himself at Strider and he said the all that is gold does not glow the very infamous not all those who wander are lost poem mm-hmm. which is interestingly enough not included in the movies until this moment except for arwen just says she says from the ashes a fire shall be woken a light from the shadows shall spring renewed shall be blade that was broken the crownless again shall be king and so she's saying this she's looking at this at the shards of narsil and then we cut back to her with elrond except now she's in a different dress so I'm like, is the I don't understand. So was that moment with her doing the poem and the sword? Is that was that like her imagining what was going to happen? Was that her? Was that a vision? Was that a flashback? Was it a flash forward? <laughs> Elves' perception of time makes absolutely no sense. Send tweet. Are we led to believe that this is? Had it not been for the fact that her dress changes, I would have been like, oh, this is all one conversation that she's having with Elrond. But when we cut back, she's in a different and then she's holding a book and she drops it. And Elrond is like, oh, my God, your hands are cold. You're dying. I don't get it. (laughs) 
<laughs> you can't Honestly, tell from my furious ranting. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not unhappy about her getting together with Aragorn, but I I almost feel like like they could have just killed her. Like they 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 could have just let her die. Well, they really couldn't have because Aragorn. So technically, so Aragorn and Arwen technically represent. Luthien and Baron, who technically represent J.R.R. Tolkien and his wife. <sighs> so, like, it would have been very cruel for them to kill off Arwen. I think what I would have preferred, because she's not, to their little credit, they elevated her character from the book because she does not exist in the books, essentially. So they did at least elevate her character to be like, we got to have at least one female character who's not a spider. And... <laughs> It's Arwen. So I, I I think I would have preferred if they had just kept her in the obscure background and just been made passing references to like, oh, yeah, she's doing Elfshire. She's in Lorien and they're protecting Loth- the elves of Lothlorien are protecting because that does happen in the book. Lothlorien does kind of get attacked and they do have to defend it. So just have her do that. You know, we don't have to. Right. It just and it also feels so weird having her be dying just after we had the the eye bone scene between Aragorn and Eowyn. So, okay, and the, this is this is the other thing. So this is the other thing I don't get. So she just starts dying all of a sudden. Elrond is like the light of I think it's Eldar is what he calls it is leaving you, and I'm like okay, but then why is it not leaving you, Elrond? Why is it not leaving Legolas? Why like why is it all of a sudden leaving her? I was like, is it because of this magic necklace that she gave Aragorn? And if right, it that is was my because, thought. Then Elrond, where's your necklace? Do you have a magic necklace? <laughs> Does I literally the, have that exact thought. Does the and like my uh, my my understanding of the necklace and whatnot should be that like oh as long as like Aragorn I don't know loves her and is alive and is thinking of her then he keeps the spirit of Arwen alive with him or so yeah I don't know okay but hmm just stuttering mm-hmm. whatever so as she's dying Elrond is finally like okay I guess I have to start doing something with this war now because that's the only way my daughter is going to be saved so there's a whole sequence of events of showing forging together the shards of Narsil and it's a very big deal and it's a very big moment and it's just so funny for me because in the book this happens in Fellowship of the Ring in the Council of Elrond chapter, or maybe the chapter afterwards, before they leave Rivendell to even start the journey. In the Council of Elrond chapter, they mention the Blades of Narsil, or the Shards of Narsil, and then the next time, like, they're leaving, Aragorn, it's just very casual, like, yeah, Aragorn's sword, Andriel, was whole again. And that's it. <laughs> it's the whole, that's the whole scene. Well, and like, you see Boromir fork around with it uh in god that scene (sighs) it makes me laugh so much what are your what are your side side conversation tangent what are your feelings on boromir listeners she's blinking furiously trying to think i he (laughs) so first of all sean bean is cursed um second of all i just feel like he was a limp noodle in this entire movie series like like they painted him with a brush that was just like here let's give you let's give you someone to hate within the fellowship just because we can and it it just felt so one dimensional at no point did i ever feel sympathy for him and i think that they could have done that and that it was 
an absolute disservice to his character. Like they gave all of that to Faramir instead of like, my boy. yeah, go out and do the things. And it, like, you don't feel bad for Boromir until you feel bad for Faramir. Mm-hmm. And exactly. I feel like that's so unbelievably crappy because it just made his character boring and easy to hate. I love all of this. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Like, like, just, ugh. just the way that, like, you kind of sighed when you said Boromir. I was like, I bet she has some feelings about him. Let me see what those are. So, yeah, I just, they did him a disservice, and it could have been done, could have been done more subtle. I yeah, think. and and it made his death feel like nothing. Like it just made his death feel like, oh, well, he's the victim he's of the dead. consequences yeah. of his own actions. Yeah, um, and not like he had a good heart and was was like trying to do what he thought was best for his people. And like, we we don't get anything about his father being ring obsessed. Like none of that. We don't get any of that until much, much later. And even then it's not done directly. It's, you know, to Faramir, well, you know that you'll be killed for this. Really? 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 That's how we're going to do that? My boy, my boy. Spe- uh, spe- or I say speaking of which, it'll it'll be... I don't know, a couple more minutes, but uh, yeah, okay, yeah. So the Anduril is now whole. The shards of Narsil are formed, and cool, it's a sword. And this is a, this is also it can match up with the movie's character arc for Aragorn, where he finally has a moment of accepting that he is the king when he accepts the sword. Um, mm-hmm. So that all matches up with his character arc, but we don't see that for I don't know another hour. I don't remember when. Jumping that back a little to the magical necklace. <laughs> so like she hands aragorn the magical necklace right or like like we don't actually know but like you assume because she hands it to him and it's like i choose mortal life it's like okay if if your being is attached to that necklace in some way then you're gonna die regardless because you gave it away but if it's not connected to the necklace or like you can leave rivendell and therefore survive without the necklace then like maybe the necklace isn't all that important but it definitely seemed important because like aragorn was constantly holding it and playing with it eowyn asks about it legolas saves it for yeah we have we have a like low-key gay moment between legolas and aragorn when legolas gives the (laughs) necklace back to aragorn it feels like such a misused prop. Like it feels so important and then it's just n- it's not nothing. Explained. So here I've said this before and I will say it again to my dying days. You can tell that all of the stuff with the elves, you can tell that Tolkien didn't write this. You can tell that none of this like necklace stuff, none of the you know, none of the like elves having visions and the elves showing up at Helm's Deep, you can tell that none of that happens in the book. Because it's it just doesn't match the the elves is where I completely lose like any I don't know ground with the, with these movies it's just not up to the standard of the rest of the stories for me yep yeah what is up to my standards is this scene where we have uh, Gandalf and Pippin arriving in Minas Tirith and it's so cool. <laughs> Gandalf and uh, Pippin are riding on Shadowfax, who is taking them. I couldn't. I couldn't for the life of me have described to you what Minas Tirith looked like after like reading the description in the book. But after seeing it on screen, I'm like, oh, yep, that's what it looks like. Like that makes that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. And they're writing the music. I don't know like what theme that is, but I love it. It's the whatever score or theme is playing as they are writing up the tears of Minas Tirith and going to meet Denethor is so good. Mm-hmm. 
and they arrive and Gandalf is like, all right, Pippin, here's the deal. This is this is Boromir's dad. He's not going to be happy if he finds out that his son is dead. His favorite son, I, sh- I might add. So just don't mention Boromir. Also, don't mention Frodo or the ring. Also, don't mention Aragorn. You know what? Just don't say anything. Just don't say anything. Just, just don't talk. <laughs> it, it, great moment. Great. Incredibly well done because it... It feels like such a real conversation. <laughs> like, like Gandalf just, grounded just sort of going through the motions of like, don't do anything stupid. He's like thinking of You're all gonna the You're going to do something stupid. Let me, let me think of all of the ways you might do something stupid. You know what? Just stop. It's also a very long list of things that might upset Denethor. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like we don't want to, mm, this is risky. We don't want to. We don't want and to then spoilers, that. Pippin does something stupid anyway. Yes, they, they come in and Denethor is, ooh, a terrible timing for them to walk in because Denethor has, it looks like possibly just found out that Boromir is dead because he is holding yeah. the Horn of Gondor, which has been cloven in two. It's just like, it's just bad. It's like, this. can we come, we can come back later if now's not a good time. And he's, you know, obviously distressed and distraught, mourning his son, his his only son, as he wishes. Um, and he, or Denethor is like, can you possibly explain to me why my favorite boy would die? And Pippin, there's a little flashback, I guess, for people who maybe they just walked into the theater with their friends. They hadn't seen Fellowship or, you know, when you're watching it in the theaters, it's been two years Maybe you don't remember that Boromir died protecting the hobbits. I think that's pretty easy to remember. But you get a flashback showing Boromir dying. Pippin says he died protecting me and my kinsmen. And I offer my service up to you as a token of thanks. Which is a, it's a huge, this chapter in the book is a huge moment of character growth for Pippin. And he, this actually whole section in the book for Pippin is really great. It's a great moment here too, where he's like, I offer you my service. And Gandalf is immediately like, shut up. Yep. Yep. Well, and and the other thing too, and and because I have gone on this rant about Boromir, we still don't like Boromir at this point. Like, yeah, he died protecting the hobbits, but so what? Like, like we didn't care in that moment because the movies didn't make you care. They didn't give you any empathy or sympathy for Boromir. So it's just like, yeah, well, Boromir sucks. I totally agree with you. I will add, because otherwise I can see people tweeting at us, that it is a very different story in Two Towers Extended Edition world. Because there's a whole scene that shows Boromir and Faramir as brothers and like supporting each other. I can't remember exactly like how you phrase it earlier, but like all it did for me was make me feel sadder for Faramir because like you show how much he loved Boromir as a brother and that they were actually good brothers to each other. But all it does is make me feel sadder for Faramir than give me sympathy for Boromir. I'm also just, I just notoriously don't like Boromir. So, but yeah, it's a different. Extended edition Two Towers, it's almost like a totally different story with Faramir and Denethor and Boromir. Okay. I, I did not watch the extended version, honestly, because I was just trying to plow through. Yeah. Oh, uh, no. What we I had. didn't expect. I didn't. That you would have been doing that for a whole extra day if you had done extended <laughs> editions. But yeah, it's just. And it's just. I just wanted to like add that context because I know that people are very much like extended edition ride or die people. So I am not one of them. I think that extended editions, I think it's a fun thing to watch and it's a fun experience to have. 
but I don't think that they are necessarily better than the theatrical editions. I think the way that they presented the final cut of the movie to audiences and movie theaters in the early 2000s is perfectly wonderful. That might yep. change when I watch extended edition Return of the King. Who knows? I don't know. Um, but right now, Especially anyway. with that Saruman scene. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, my God. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Probably a month and a half from now. <laughs> oh, my God. Also, I should I should add. So Denethor was one of my favorite characters to read in the book because everything he did was just so dramatic and extra. And it just made <laughs> things more interesting. And it was just, he was a very, like, cool villain to read. I think they did a great job of translating him to screen and portraying him. Um, he was played by John Noble. And this was a fun, I just laughed a lot at this. It said the prop department made Denethor a sword, despite the fact that Denethor never actually uses it. And he wears his sword in the scenes, but he never uses it. And this was like literally from the trivia. They wanted him to feel as important as the cast who did use their swords. <laughs> That's awesome. And also, I am I find it interesting that you call him a villain outright. I would say villain. I think he's in a gray area because he's not, you know, he's not Sauron. He's not Saruman. Mm-hmm. But we, he is an, I guess maybe an antagonist is a better word, where we are not rooting for him. And he is there to present as an obstacle and to be in opposition to our protagonists. Very true. Very correct. Yeah. So yeah, I just really, I liked how they, you know, did it on screen. It was, I just thought it was a a really good job, which obviously we'll get more into throughout this movie coverage. What, what, what are their names? Denethor is like, shut up, Gandalf. I am not going to listen to you. I don't want to do anything anyone tells me because I am grieved for my only child, Boromir who can do no wrong in my eyes. I don't remember having a second son. And is like, I'm not going to. Gandalf asks him to light the beacons and call for aid. I don't remember beacon lighting being a thing in the book. I don't know. Again, another thing I'll maybe just have to go back and check. Denethor refuses and reveals that he knows about Aragorn and he knows that they that Aragorn is there and that the heir of Isildur is back and has come to claim the throne again and is very much opposed to this and is like, no, my family has ruled as stewards for years. And who is this king to come and take rule of Gondor after all being gone for so long? And again, another moment if I don't remember if this was a big thing in the book, if Denethor was that much opposed to Aragorn and being the king. They did a good job setting that up in fellowship in the movie when Boromir was like all sassy towards mm -hmm. him so like it's it's a good moment for sure where like you see you see how like that trickled down from like father to son having this distrust of Aragorn Mm -hmm. and and I think that anything like that would have explained some of Boromir's toxicity towards Aragorn Mm -hmm. in a better way than how they did it I yep cool I just How did you find a button that I didn't know I had? There you go. I'm very good at it. Also, I should that just reminded me someone don't remember. I don't remember who it was or even if it was on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. But someone brought up on a social media post that the way that they changed Faramir in the book and the movies, which I've already talked extensively about, and I won't do that now. It It's very, it's also sad on another level for how they changed him because book Faramir seems to be moving away from this like power seeking 
like hunger that Boromir and Denethor have. And we see him not have that in the book. And so it's disappointing in the movie when he his character is supposed to be it's supposed to break away it's supposed to break that tradition of power hungry males in his family and he's supposed to break that tradition and we don't see him do that in the movie oh see i still feel like i still feel like he had that in the movies a little bit i mean he eventually he eventually does okay go in that direction yes but at first he is very much power hungry and more like approval from daddy hungry but yeah I, I i don't even know that it's power so much as just constantly feeling second best and just just wanting wanting a little nugget of like acknowledgement from his own father yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of just like yes i am in fact your son mm-hmm. and you know i am just as much your son as boromir is even if you pretend i'm not all of that in this scene, we have Gandalf drop the title of the movie, which I don't like it here. I really don't like it here. He said, he's like, who are you, Denethor, to deny the return of the king? Roll credits. I would have much preferred this happen in the coronation scene because Gandalf, I don't remember the exact line, but he says something like, so have come the days of peace or something but I think it would have fit in so much better if he had said like and so come the date like and so comes the return of the king as he is crowning Aragorn. or or they could even do it in like a, a a subtle way of like and thus the king returns like it doesn't have to be exact I, I agree it being in this scene I don't like it here you know 35 minutes into yeah. the movie it feels it doesn't feel earned yeah like it feels very earned in the first one when they formed the fellowship and Elrond goes, you shall be the fellowship of the ring. It feels mm-hmm. more earned there, but that does not happen here. So yeah, they've pissed off Denethor. Whoops. And they go to leave. We have a scene between, I love this little scene between Pippin and Gandalf because Gandalf, like they're kind of, I don't know, they're kind of like joking around a little bit. And then Gandalf is comforting Pippin in some parts and then, also like kind of explaining things and being realistic to him they're more it comes more off as like i don't know like more like they're friends rather than like him being angry at him all the time agree uh and pippin is like looking down at his uniform for the army of gondor and is like so uh do you think i'm actually gonna have to like fight because i don't know if i actually meant to to offer up my my service (laughs) oh no the consequences of my own actions how was i supposed to know there'd be consequences for my actions especially actions that i was explicitly told not to take and gandalf is like pippin when you like didn't when you offered up your your service to Gondor, Denethor is not going to take that lightly. He's going to, he's a very serious man in case you can't tell. He's going to take that seriously. He's going to call your bluff. And they go and sit out, look out on the balcony overlooking like the land and everything. And Pippin says, it's so quiet. And it's a, I love that. I remember loving this line in the book and I love it here too. Gandalf says, it's the deep breath before the plunge. And this moment before all this chaos and destruction is going to erupt that they just know is inevitable. Yes, the deep breath is is very much a... Shoot, I don't know that I can make this comparison or allusion to Late to the Party yet because I'm pretty positive that by the time this episode comes out, that episode... Yeah, it definitely won't be out. Yeah, don't spoil won't, anything won't be yet. coming out yet. Um, but it, 
I don't think that it's any sort of story spoiler, but we do like episode intros sometimes that are just narrative pieces. And I have a narrative piece that I've had written for literal months that sort of talks about the calm right before the storm, something bad. Yeah, yeah, which, oh yeah I, should, I should also add, this is just, you know, Tolkien's way of reworking the phrase, the calm before the storm. Yes. <laughs> um, I also tweeted this on, I was very proud of myself, tweeted this on election day. I think it was like an hour before all the polls were going to be closing on the East Coast and like before results were going to start trickling in. I tweeted like this last hour before polls closing. <laughs> It's the deep breath before the plunge. It's really what it felt yes. like. Yeah. They're just overlooking it. And Pippin's like, I, I'm i not looking forward to battle and war and everything, but I think I hate this worse. I hate sitting here in this like quiet anxiety, knowing that like the worst is yet to come. And I can't even imagine it right now. That's that's a very real feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Denethor, I mean, Denethor. <laughs> oh, my God. I. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just laughing because whatever, it's fine. I'm just dumb at myself, whatever. Gandalf explains to Pippin kind of and also kind of explains to the audience that off in the distance is Osgiliath, which if Osgiliath falls, that's the last the last thing protecting Minas Tirith from Mordor. So we better not lose Osgiliath probably five, I think five minutes from now, Faramir rolls up and is like, we lost Osgiliath. Sorry. Pippin says another moment of like innocence from him, but we've got we've got the white wizard that's got to count for something, hasn't it? And Gandalf like doesn't want to tell him like, I am basically like, I am not all powerful. I am almost useless here. I'm not able to just fix everything like you think I am. I'm not some all-powerful person like you think I am. And to me, this felt very similar to when you are reading or watching Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince and you have Dumbledore in your mind as like, oh, it's Dumbledore. Like, he'll save us. He'll always protect us. And then he dies. And you have this realization that, like, he's a man, you know? Mm -hmm. That's all. He's not gonna he can't fix everything you can't just wave your staff at it and make it better Mm -hmm. yeah Gandalf introduces this new villainy that Sauron has been cooking up the witch king of uh, Agmar oh no I messed it up what's it called witch king of Angmar that doesn't sound right but that's what it's the witch king (laughs) and um he says no living man can kill the Witch King. Hmm, interesting. No living man. Mm-hmm. No living man can kill him. That's interesting. Interesting you say man, Gandalf. He says, you've met him before. He is the same Nazgul who stabbed Frodo on Weathertop. And see, is it that hard to explain this? They don't say this in the book. Either that or I totally missed it. But someone brought this up when I was reading the book and was like, oh, yeah, well, when he stabbed and I was like, what do you mean he stabbed Frodo? When did that happen? They're like, this is the Nazgul that stabbed Frodo. And like when they came back to life after the whole thing with Rivendell, they essentially came back stronger. And I was like, when did that happen? I totally missed that fact. (laughs) And here it is. It's not that hard. See how easy it was for Gandalf to just be like, he's the one who stabbed Frodo on Weathertop. And a little bit one of one of the fun things about the the no man can do it is also the repeated recitation that hobbits and men are different or that elves and men are different or that dwarves and men are different or that Gandalf himself is not a so man. That's what's interesting. And I'm sure we'll talk about it more during that episode because I have planned knock on wood that everything 
goes according to schedule. I have both of the winters planned to come on, Casey and Valerie, um, for that part of the movie. So I'm sure we'll talk about it there. But yeah, a lot of people, we've discussed a lot of the semantics of like when it says, I think the wording from the book is not by the hand of man shall he be killed and so it's like okay the man okay man was man capitalized so no it was just man it's like okay so does that just mean that literally the only person who can't kill him is aragorn or faramir or denethor and that because we're in we have so many other non-man characters we have legolas we have gimli we have all of the hobbits we have can gandalf kill him like is is gandalf a man technically because or is he like is a wizard not make him a ma- you know what does that mean exactly so i'm sure mm-hmm. we'll talk more about the semantics of that later on but it does leave it up for a little bit more interpretation that adds in like some i don't know fun surprises when that when that crops up later on and yeah so gandalf is telling him about the witch king and that he lives in minas morgul and as he's telling them we see frodo sam and Gollum coming up on minas morgul and that is where we are going to leave this week's discussion yeah so jordan thank you so much for coming on um do you have anything you would like to plug and share with our audience um Given that this is coming out in early January, I feel like I need to plug the return of the main campaign of Late to the Party. Woo! So oh, that's right. We had taken right now. You guys are doing your Christmas campaign. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So uh, in December, we we took a bit of time off the four spoilers five part series that Scott caught us totally off guard with, and yeah, that was December. So if you're looking for a little nugget five part series that aired in December, or if you are looking to just re-listen to uh, the big campaign. We should have episodes 25 and 26 going up in January. Two of my most favorite episodes that we've ever recorded and we're going to see where that story goes because I feel like we're approaching a season wrap which is really exciting that's very fun and where can people find you on the internet probably the best place to find me is on twitter i believe my handle still is at super awesome jeb that's j-e-b uh it was a nickname that my bosses gave me like in 2017 you are super awesome so you should keep it thanks that's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WBE. You can learn more about the network by going to WBE.org. We have lots of fun, exciting things coming in the future very soon. And in the meantime, you can listen to our musical theater fan podcast, Sincerely Us. Hi, I'm Eenie. And I'm Becca. And we host the casual musical theater podcast, Sincerely Us. We break down all the themes, motifs, and plot lines of your favorite musicals while also having fun and sharing our love for the craft. We cover new shows. Shows, old shows, popular shows, and everything in between. Everything from Hamilton all the way back to She Loves Me and beyond. We keep things light, explain in detail, and try to make the topic of musical theater accessible to everyone. So whether you've been into theater your entire life, or have just gotten into it after seeing Hamilton, this is the show for you. With new episodes every Wednesday on WBNE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And now on Spotify. The cover art is by Graphite, a.k.a. Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. 
You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TolkienAboutPod, and you can also join the Facebook group, which is linked in the description. You can find me on Twitter and TikTok at MCWhatsUp and Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod to explore the different tiers and perks that come with those tiers. You can join the Discord for $3 a month, or you can become a sponsor of the podcast like Matt. Matt, thank you so much for your continued support of the podcast. I appreciate it so much. If you like what you're listening to, please rate and review. It helps other people find this podcast. And when people stumble across the podcast and they see all of these glowing, amazing five-star reviews, they're like, hmm, maybe I should give this a listen. So if you like this podcast, please rate and review. Next week, we will obviously still be on Return of the King. We will be doing Return of the King for many weeks to come, of course. We will pick up where we left off at 39 minutes and 51 seconds and go to one hour, 11 minutes and two seconds again of the theatrical edition. And just a reminder that, of course, I will be doing the extended edition just after I do the theatrical edition. And next week's segment will end after the attack on Osgiliath that's underscored so morbidly, beautifully by Pippin's song. All that being said, Jordan, do you have any parting words for the audience? Oh, God, I wish I would have thought of something clever. I'm so not clever. Um, I am no man. And that's what I'm talking about. And he's right, because Denethor is holding the broken corn of Hondor. <laughs> what did I just say? I'm sorry. Go back and replay that. Editing Mary Clay. <laughs> broken corn of Hondor. Corn of Hondor. Corn of Hondor. Did I just say the broken corn of Hondor? <laughs>